Today is our first Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent began last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and it's the 40 days leading up till Easter, not including Sundays. It's the time when we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us and when we often make sacrifices to help ourselves grow closer to God. Now, I want to share with you that during this Lent, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke. And we hope that you'll read the Gospel of Luke. If you're part of our Bible reading plan, we want to encourage you uh, that we're going to read the whole Gospel uh, throughout the next six weeks. And we're going to be looking at what Jesus says to us, what it means to, to follow him, to grow closer to him, and what type of God he is. Because he wasn't the type of God people were expecting. Uh, we, what we find in Luke specifically, is that Jesus has this incredible heart that people didn't realize that God had this heart for the least and the last and the lost, for those who are often left out. And so the title of our sermon series for the next six weeks is Friends in Low Places. Now, if you go to Neyland Stadium on a fall Saturday, between the third and fourth quarter, you will sing about friends in low places. And I always enjoy once or twice taking my kids there during the fall. My kids would enjoy uh, probably more often. Uh, it's a full day. And so we go and I just love watching them during the fourth quarter. My daughter, she's in sixth grade. She is so into it. She sings every word, except she's, I mean, just heart of gold. She leaves out the words about alcohol. She just doesn't say them, but she's belting out every other word at the top of her lungs. Now, my third grader, John, uh, he sings every word <laughs> at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, hey, buddy, do you know what those words mean? He's like, no, not a clue. But, 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 but I love them. We sing about, people get really excited to sing about friends in low places. And we're going to be celebrating during the next six weeks that Jesus has friends in low places. And in fact, it's only because Jesus is willing to have friends in low places that we're able to be Jesus' friend, that we're able to be Jesus' disciple because he would be, come to the low places where we could be found to find us and to raise us up to the heavenly places with him. That's the only reason we have a relationship with Christ. And because of the, the way this relationship with Christ works, uh, this relationship with Christ has to be the number one thing in our lives. It's the number one hunger for which we were created, uh, the number one desire of our souls. And if we don't have this hunger, something's wrong. It's kind of like the physical hunger we experience. You know, hunger is the greatest desire in your body. It's the greatest, strongest physical drive your body has. And what we know medically is if you're not hungry, you're sick. Like there's something wrong with you. If you're not hungry, you are phys physically sick. Now our hunger ebbs and flows throughout the course of our lives. Many of us like to remember back when we were teenagers and we were ravenously hungry and we could eat and eat and eat and we like would digest the food as quick as we could put it in our mouth. And then, then we could, could eat more. I spent a lot of my teenage years in Chattanooga. And often my family, we'd come up to Knoxville for something and we'd, we'd be driving back and we'd stop at that great establishment known as Cracker Barrel. And we were smart. Uh, we didn't stop at the Cedar Bluff Cracker Barrel. You're going to have to wait 45 minutes. We didn't stop at the Campbell Station Cracker Barrel. We stopped at the Sweetwater Cracker Barrel, right? Because the Sweetwater Cracker Barrel was just as good and you got a table right away. 
So we'd stop at that Sweetwater Cracker Barrel. It, it was probably about an hour and 15 minutes from our house. And I remember what I'd order every time. I'd get the roast beef with gravy. And then I'd get mashed potatoes. I'd get fried okra. I'd get cornbread. And I'd finish every bit of it. I'd also get the frozen lemonade finish all of that and then I'd order this incredible concoction known as chocolate cobbler right chocolate cobbler is served not in a cup but it's served in a bowl and it is this incredibly warm brownie with nuts in it and hot chocolate sauce all over it with then uh, heaping scoops of vanilla ice cream and I would finish each bite and after finishing that, I would have to unbutton the top button on my jeans in order to, to walk out of the restaurant because I was so full, because I'd been so hungry uh, when I came. Now, I went back to Cracker Barrel recently, and they no longer have the chocolate cobbler. And so I just want to say this morning, if any Cracker Barrel executives are listening, for the love of all things good, bring back the chocolate cobbler. I know the Surgeon General doesn't want it back. Uh, but bring it back. Well, at that point in my life, by the time we drove from that restaurant an hour and 15 minutes home, you know what I wanted? A snack, right? A snack, because we remember those times when our body's really healthy, the, the hunger that, that's involved. It's the same way with our spirits. When our spirits are really healthy, there's this great hunger for God. And in fact, if you're not hungry for God, you're spiritually sick. You're, there's a disease, there's something going on within you that's preventing that hunger from being the driving force in your life. And we all have that disease, it's called sin. Uh, we, we have different symptoms, the way it affects us, but we all have that and it's constantly trying to take our desires elsewhere other than Jesus. And actually, right now in our culture, there's so much that people want to do and so much they, they want to see. We have so many resources, so many opportunities, and that's all wonderful and good, but apathy's become a spiritual epidemic. You know why most people say they don't attend church today? It's not because they don't believe in God. It's, it's not because they think Christians are hypocritical. It's just because they got other stuff to do. It's just, it's just not a big priority. They, they've somehow numbed that hunger for which their souls were created for, and they filled it with, with other things that, that won't ultimately fill them. That's why this Lent, that's why over these six weeks, we want to encourage you to get back to that hunger. Uh, we want to encourage you to read the entirety of the Gospel of Luke with our daily Bible reading plan. Also to sign up for the daily devotions that come with it that will uh, take you deeper into the scriptures and give you a focus for your prayer life that day. You can sign up for those at concordunited.org Bible or pick up a hard copy at the information center afterwards. But to say, I wanna be hungry again. I'm tired of not being hungry. I'm tired of other things that don't ultimately satisfy me, that don't fill the hunger taking its place in my life. Now, our scripture for today, we're starting at the beginning of Luke. It's one that we read back around Christmas. And it's from Mary's song of praise to God. After she's met with the angel Gabriel and heard this incredible promise, after she's met with her cousin Elizabeth and heard confirmation of this promise, she shares this song. And we call it the Magnificat. 
And that the word magnificat comes from the first word she says. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It just means to magnify. And so it's this magnification of, of God through our lives, this song. And we're, we're gonna pick out just a few verses to focus on in the middle of this song from Mary. We're gonna pick up with Luke 1, uh, verse 50, 51 through 53. Mary says, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That this is, this is what God has done. And did you hear that? Because it's amazing and it's unexpected. She says, God's taken the powerful uh, and uh, God's scattered them. Uh, he's taken up uh, those who were on thrones and he's cast them off, but he's lifted up the lowly. And she, she's talking about what God's done in choosing her, a peasant girl, uh, to be the mother of the Messiah. But she's also talking about how God operates in our world, how God deals with the power dynamics of our world and with uh, bringing about God's will to bear upon humanity. See, we're, as you know, in our society, we're in an election cycle this year. And you're gonna hear two diametrically opposed opinions in that election cycle in different uh, political conversations about how power works. And they're both wrong as the day is long. One of those that you're going to hear is going to be that those who already have power have that power because they deserve it, because God wants them to have it, and because they're great people. And those who don't have power have, do not have power because God doesn't want them to have it. They don't deserve it and they're not great people. That's one of the opinions you're gonna hear. Another opinion is that those who are on top in society are despicable people who are constantly bent on oppressing those who are on bottom in society. And that those who are on bottom in society are great, wonderful people uh, who uh, would never do the same thing. Except the problem with this view is if you're on bottom and you ever get to top, you become despicable, right? So those are the views that you're gonna hear. And not only are they both out of line with scripture, they're both out of line with common sense. Because we know this, like you probably know very wealthy people. And I bet you know very wealthy, very powerful people who are saints, who are absolute salt of the earth saints. And I bet you know very wealthy, very powerful people who are despicable sinners, right? Who live disgusting lives. I bet you also know people who don't have much, who are salt of the earth saints and people who don't have much, who are despicable uh, and morally repulsive. I bet you know those folks. And what God does here is God tells us how God's going to work. That, listen, it doesn't just say, God will cast down anyone who's in a position of power. It says he has scattered the proud in their thoughts and he has brought down the powerful from their thrones. What that means is you might have a position of power, but you need not be proud within it. You need not think, well, I have this because I'm better than everybody else because I'm deserving or I have this for my own purposes. I remember learning this lesson from a mentor of mine. I, I got to spend a summer working for him. He was senior pastor of the largest Methodist church in the, the state of Michigan. And I was sitting in his office one day and 
I, I tell you what, apparently in Michigan, not only do they make nice cars, they make nice furniture. Because this office was ornately adorned. I mean, it, there wasn't a speck in that office that hadn't been thought out of how it should look. And it was obvious that the church really placed a high emphasis on that office. And we're sitting around this mahogany coffee table in his office. And I said, you must feel pretty good about yourself being senior pastor of this church. And he said, I'm not senior pastor of this church. And I said, what? You're like, your name's on the door. Like, it's right there. I, I can read it. And under it, in small print, it says senior pastor. You're senior. He said, no, I am steward of the office of senior pastor in this church. I don't deserve to be pastor of the smallest church in the smallest town on the planet. I am steward of an office and I'm steward of an office for a certain amount of time. But it's not about me. It's about this organization and it's about right now me having a particular role to do whatever I can for the good of this organization because what's good for this organization ultimately is what's good for the kingdom of Christ. What he was expressing was a servant mindset that, that wasn't proud and that affected me deeply and it, it caused me to look at everything I had over time as a steward. And here's what I can tell you that when life puts you up on a throne, when you receive a new level of power, when you receive a new level of prestige, when you receive a new level of resources, you better go ahead and sacrifice that throne to Christ because otherwise eventually he'll throw you off of it and he'll kick you off for your own good. But I'm just gonna tell you from experience, it's more fun when you choose to do so first. It, it's just a lot more fun when you choose to, to do so first. And, and it it doesn't mean uh, that you're no longer in that office or in that position, but it means you are now not in that for yourself, but you're a steward of that position. And some of that stewardship, some of that servanthood is temporary. Like what, whatever job you have, here's the amazing thing. When you retire, you know what'll happen? Somebody else will do it. Like, you know, somebody else will just come do that. It's the most amazing thing that happens. We think we're indispensable and this, somebody else come and does it. And then there are some things that nobody else can do. For, for instance, I am the steward of the office of husband of Rebecca. And that, that's till I die and it never changes. And if I don't steward that office, there's nobody else who can, nobody else who can love and honor and respect in the way that's supposed to be done in, in that bit. And if, if I, same thing with my kids, I am the steward of the office of father of Sam, Susanna, and John. No, nobody, nobody else can do that. And if they did, it wouldn't mean the, the same thing because they hadn't been appointed to that office. And if we think our relationships or our careers, if we think it's just about our personal fulfillment and how much we enjoy it, then there's gonna be a day when we're not able to be faithful to it. Because there are days when what we need to do isn't enjoyable. When we don't get much given back to us for doing what we're supposed to do. But the fact of the matter is we're stewards for Christ. Christ is on the throne. We're just stewards of what he's given us. When I go and talk to my financial advisor, I'm not talking about my resources. I'm talking about the accounts that I am stewarding 
on behalf of the one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. They're not mine. They've been temporarily given to me, temporarily entrusted to me for the purpose of using them in line with the will of the king and for the good of the kingdom of God. And I'm not here to tell you I do that perfectly. I'm sure I make a thousand mistakes every day, but I at least try to know what my purpose is and why I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. Because if, uh, if you try to make it about yourself, God will throw you off the throne. He'll throw you off the throne for your own good. He'll throw you off the throne because he loves you and he'll do it because he doesn't wanna see you spiritually malnourished. You see, you can't be hungry for food when your belly's already full. That's why some of you have been on diets where they tell you drink a glass of water before your meal and a glass of water after your meal. So you fill up your belly. So you won't be as hungry for those cheese puffs that are just sitting there in the pantry and that just call your name, right? Because if your belly's full, you, you, you can't be hungry. It's the same way with God. You can't be hungry for God when you want something else more than God. You can't be. One of the things we shared with our, our confirmation class is that this Christianity, like there's no debate about who's number one in Christianity. Like that debate is settled. And if you're still having that debate, you're probably not ready to come up here and uh, profess your faith. Now, we're, we struggle to live out that debate. That's fine. But if you don't know that that debate's been settled, then you're probably not ready. I remember one time, you know, I guess it's probably around New Year's, I was getting on a new workout plan and I went to my gym and I, I had a meeting with like the fitness guru there. And he was saying, well, this is where we see, you know, this, these exercises done this many times a week, this would really help you. He said, now, can you give me your dedication level to completing this exercise plan? He said, scale of one to 10. I said, seven, right? Seven. And he looks at me and he goes, that's not good. I said, why is that not good? He goes, I've never known anybody with a seven who stuck with the plan. Not a single one with a seven. And I looked at him and I go, listen, buddy, God's 10, my family's nine, my career and my friends are eight. I think you should feel pretty good, <laughs> right? You should feel pretty good at seven. Uh, just, just forget the motivational talk. Just give me the exercises. You know, tell, tell, tell me what I'm, I'm supposed to do. And I think the reason uh, sometimes when we express uh, what our priorities are as Christians, it takes people a step back because we're used in our world. Uh, what's normal in our world and in our society is putting things up there on that number one line that don't deserve it, right? Allowing things to be a 10 that don't deserve it. But what did Jesus say? He said, you put me up there, seek my kingdom. Everything else will be added unto you. You can't be hungry for God when you want something else more. And no matter what that something else is, it will never be enough. You were created with insatiable eternal hunger. And that insatiable eternal hunger is for God. But the problem is if you don't put God there, you will still be insatiably hungry. God can fulfill that hunger because God can give you more and more of God. You can be changed from glory into glory for eternity, but anything else can't do it. Everything else, as soon as you get it, whatever it was you want, it's the law of diminishing returns. What it gives you back is less. If you look for it in drugs, every time you take that hit, you'll get less of a high. 
If, if you look for it in money, uh, you might want to make a million dollars, but when you make a million, you'll want two. And when you get two, you'll want 10. And after you get 10, you'll want 100. And after you get a billion, you'll want 10 billion. That's just, that's just the way it works. And it will never satisfy. I remember a couple years ago, hearing an interview with Tom Brady, uh, and I hush to mention the name of the quarterback of the evil empire from the north. Uh, but uh, he was uh, being interviewed as a much younger man after he had only won two or three Super Bowls. And uh, he, he was incredibly honest. I couldn't believe he was this honest with a national publication. Uh, but he, he talked about his struggles. And he said, you know, I was sitting alone last night at home on my computer up late looking at pornography. And I began to ask myself, isn't there more to life than this? What, what more do you want in American society than what he had? And yet that's what he's doing. And that's, you know, the question he's asking. Because whatever you think you want, if that's God in your life, once you get it, it's law of diminishing returns. You buy a new car. Did you know, statistically, there's proof a new car will make you happier for three months three months and then your happiness level will go right back to, to where it was. Now you may need a new car. That's a great reason to buy a new car. But if you're just getting it for pure happiness, just realize in three more months, you're going to have to get another one uh, <laughs> because that's, that's how it works. But with God, it's not that way. With God, it's not that way. You get what actually satisfies your soul. Now, as we talk about this, it's important for us to remember that when we want to faithfully follow God and put God on that throne, you can't be hungry for God and not care about those who are hungry for food. It's both and. There's a lot of scriptures like this where we say, God, are you talking about just those who are physically hungry or those who are spiritually hungry? When Jesus will say, blessed are the hungry and he'll say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He'll say, blessed are the poor and blessed are the poor in spirit. And sometimes we want to just spiritualize it but it's always both. It's always both. And uh, that's what we taught our confirmands who came to join the church today. That if you want to be hungry for God, uh, part of that hunger for God is he's going to put a hunger to love your neighbor as you love yourself and help your neighbor in your heart. That's why 17 members of our church are at the Sager Brown Depot in Louisiana today, making supplies, fl flood buckets and food packages for those uh, who go through natural disasters so they can be shipped around the world at a moment's notice. Uh, that's why this morning, do you know the first act of worship of our church as a community this morning was not our 9 a.m. service. It was at 6 a.m. when four of our servants, four of our volunteers showed up at the warming center at Cokesbury United Methodist Church to work a shift because 17 people had to come to that warming shelter to stay alive last night in the cold, cold temperatures. That was our first act of worship as a church family uh, this morning. Uh, we often want to just spiritualize the gospel and tell people not to worry about their actual problems because those are, those are hard to deal with. That's not the gospel of Jesus when we do that. If you over spiritualize the gospel and pretend God's not worried about our physical day-to-day -day lives, then you demonize God. And you make God into the type of person who uh, God tells us not to be, the type of person who in the story of the Good Samaritan walked right past the man dying on the side of the road. Because obviously that man was either already dead or deserved what he got. But no, that's not the Jesus we have. The Jesus we have cares about our physical lives and our souls, uh, cares about our bodies and our, our spirits. So finally, I wanna invite you to do something 
that Jesus invited us to do. I want you to spend up until Easter focused on how you can become hungry for God. And the way Jesus taught us to do that was to fast. Now, we don't like fasting in our American culture. And we like fast food. We don't like fasting. Uh, we, we, that, but Jesus didn't talk about fast food. He talked about fasting. And he told us to fast and he fasted. And he did so because it helps you connect to God. He didn't do so to prove his willpower. Uh, he, he didn't uh, do so as a test of endurance. He did so to seek God. I want to invite you to do so to seek God. Not so others will, in fact, he told us, don't, be, don't act miserable and don't just lift yourself up for others. So if you choose to fast this Lent, I got a rule for you. No posting on social media about it. Don't do it. Talk to your loved ones about it but do it just so you can seek God. Uh, we're encouraging this uh, year. And if, if you've never fasted before, we have a brochure on it. You can pick one up outside. It'll help you because if you've never done it before, there are just some, some good pointers that will help. But what we're encouraging you to do is to fast on Fridays from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., the hours Jesus was on the cross leading up to Easter. And every time you have to adjust your schedule to do this, to remember his sacrifice for us. Some of us are gonna fast longer than that. Some of us medically, that wouldn't really be healthy for us. That's okay. You'll find your own way. And in fact, you'll find in this brochure different options uh, based on the particularities of your life and your medical needs. Uh, but to say, Jesus, you gave up everything for me. I'm gonna give up something significant for you. And I'm gonna use that to remember you. I'm gonna use that to draw closer to you. And every time it inconveniences me, I'm gonna think about the areas where I've put you on the, where I've put myself on the throne and I'm gonna sacrifice that throne to you. And I'm gonna become a steward of that power. I'm gonna become a steward of that responsibility that you have placed in my life. Because what happens when you do that is you find a faith and you find a life and you find a strength that's not just worth living for, but that will see you through whatever life brings to you. We've lost a lot of saints in our church in the past few months. And as I've gathered with them, uh, often in hospital rooms during the last week of their lives, as I've talked to their families after their passings, uh, I've been inspired because they've taught me something. I've realized in each of those moments, uh, I've been invited in not just to be a servant and to try and help, but also as a sacred gift from God to be in those sacred moments. And they're teaching me something. Uh, they're teaching me how to die. Uh, they're teaching me how to die faithfully because one day I'll have to do that. One day you'll, ha you'll have to, to do that. And what will, what will determine if you can do that is if you're on the throne or not, or if Jesus is on that throne. And it's amazing to me how I've seen people who for some reason or another, they were on that throne and they gave it up. They gave it up in those last weeks. And I saw people who they weren't. They, they spent their life putting Jesus, elevating Jesus. And I saw this peace that was a part of them. And I saw this trust and I saw this hope and I saw this eager expectation. Not that they wanted to leave everyone else, but that they knew there was something better coming. It was like a vacation. And they were sorry they couldn't take everybody else with them, but they kind of had this little grin because they had a feeling it was gonna be unbelievable. I wanna live with that confidence. I wanna die with that confidence. I want you to live with that confidence. I want you to die with that confidence, but I can't give it to you. 
fasting each day on its own can't give it to you. Just reading your Bible and praying each day can't give it to you, but the Holy Spirit can. And doing all those things, not just to prove we did them, but to open ourselves to that spirit, I believe if we do that, then I'll believe we'll know that power that those saints knew who came before us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you today and we ask you to cast out all the things, the goals, the power, the resources that we have placed on the throne of our hearts. We know you're number one. We know you're a first. We know you're a king of kings and Lord of lords, but we have not always lived like it. Forgive us, we pray. Retake your rightful place in our lives and let us be stewards of this life, servants of your kingdom in this life and for eternity in the next. We pray these things in your name. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.